Hello, Shepherd family. This is Pastor Alan Rose now. We are continuing with our Lenten sermon series entitled, The Storm Before the Calm. Boy, storms sure have a way of turning your life upside down, don't they? And that's really never a very comfortable feeling. Today, we're gonna be talking about how to have a right-side-up life. I came across this rather humorous photo recently of this Jeep wheel cover. I actually saw this wheel cover on a vehicle a few weeks ago. Uh, I find it humorous because obviously if, if the Jeep is upside down, yes, indeed, that is a problem. Nobody likes to be upside down, of course. And, you know, sometimes things simply appear to be upside down when they really are not. This particular house in this photo appears to be upside down. It's a house in Germany built to look like it's upside down. You can see at the top of the picture the furniture hanging from what is now the roof, a rather humorous structure. This image gives a whole new definition to the term being upside down with your home. Then there's this upside down building. This particular building is actually located in Orlando, Florida, and it is an indoor amusement park called Wonderworks, made to look like it's completely upside down. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you were upside down in life? That can be a rather unsettling thing, no matter who you are. Perhaps something happened to you in your life where your world was kind of turned upside down. Maybe some kind of traumatic experience left you feeling that way. Or maybe your emotions have kind of gone topsy-turvy for some reason. Perhaps you're wrestling with something intellectually that has sort of un upended your life. Or maybe you're just kind of wondering, what is the meaning of it all anyway? Is there any real purpose to life? Friends, let's face it, no one wants to feel upside down. We all wanna feel right side up in life. And so we each adopt a certain view of the world around us uh, by which we try to feel right side up. Whatever your worldview might be, it is your statement, if you will, of what makes for a right side up kind of life. And you know, your worldview ultimately gives um, shape to your conclusions about the meaning and purpose of life. So let me ask you, how would you describe your worldview? When we think about the ancient world, including uh, biblical times, we recognize that there were various worldviews at play. For example, in the first century, the, the time of the New Testament, the first century Jewish worldview centered on certain messianic expectations. That is, certain expectations about what the people thought Messiah was going to be like when he came. Those expectations had to do with a view of Messiah as a powerful political ruler and one who would be something of a miracle worker. Of course, that's not the Messiah that Jesus came to be. He came to be a suffering servant, one who would give his life 
for the salvation of the world. That worldview that was so prevalent at the time of Jesus about Messiah is even reflected in places like John chapter 2, in the story where Jesus goes into the temple area and turns over the tables of the money changers and chases people out uh, for turning God's house into a marketplace. And after Jesus cleanses the temple, so to speak, the religious leaders say to him, if God gave you authority to do this, show us a a miraculous sign to prove it. It's an indication of their worldview about Messiah. And in the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world of antiquity, there were a wide variety of what we would call worldviews based on human philosophical systems. And there were numerous such worldviews in ancient Greece, particularly, including the city of Corinth, which is the setting for the text for today's message, Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth. In fact, Corinth and the rest of Greece was so known for their wide variety of philosophies and worldviews that Aristides, who was a 5th century BC uh, statesman and military commander in Athens, had this to say about the city of Corinth. He said that virtually on every street corner in Corinth, one could meet a so-called wise man who had his own solutions to the world's problems. Just a wide variety of worldviews based on human philosophy. Well, friends, the ancient world wasn't unique. Our modern world has a wide variety of worldviews also. Let's take a look at just a few of them. A few modern worldviews would include, for example, secular humanism. Secular humanism has the basic idea that humans can be ethical and moral without religion or belief in any kind of deity. And this worldview seeks truth primarily through science and philosophy. Now, somewhat related to that, and maybe to an even more extreme level, would be what we might call atheistic scientific naturalism. This is the idea that, frankly, there is no God, and that truth is based merely on the scientific method. So only that which is subject to the five senses and to scientific inquiry is what is real. Anything that is invisible, intangible, simply does not exist. Another uh, modern kind of worldview is postmodernism. And this view basically says that truth and reality are completely relative. What is true for you may be true for you. It's not true for me. See, it's all relative. Nothing is solid and definite. And that to the extreme is another worldview known as nihilism. Nihilism basically says that there is absolutely no objective truth. There is no standard morality. And it even goes so far as to say that all truth claims need to be not only questioned, but out and out rejected. Wow, I'm sure you can tell that these all are very, very different worldviews from the Christian biblical worldview. I came across this particular photo recently. 
I call it the upside down church. That's not the official title of the photograph or of the piece of art that is represented in this photograph. It's a sculpture that stands in a park in Canada, the upside down church, I call it. It's raised a fair level of uh, controversy and debate. I find it rather interesting because I think it challenges everyone to consider what and who really is upside down. Is the church upside down or is the world actually upside down? You know, the secular world in, in many ways views the church as upside down. But in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, our text for today, he introduces the intellectual debate about who is right side up, church or not church. And quite frankly, every age and every setting bears an intellectual debate between church and world. Who has it right? Who is right side up? The church is upside down, says the world. But from a biblical perspective, we would say that God himself says that in reality, the world itself is upside down. And God would say, I have done something to turn it right side up. And that something, Paul explains in his letter, is the death of Jesus on the cross. Listen now again, to a section of those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he talks about what God did in Christ Jesus. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. You know, friends, in reality, the secular world is upside down without even realizing it. But Jesus came into this world precisely to right side up the world, if you will. And as followers of Jesus, we carry with us that unique message that can right the world. It's an unlikely message, of course, for it centers not on human power or prestige or prowess, nor on human wisdom or achievement. It centers instead on Christ crucified. That's what Paul makes clear in his letter. 
And this is a message that really does cause a storm. As Paul explained in his letter, this message really seems foolish to many people. Foolish to Jews who simply cannot stomach the idea of a a suffering Messiah who is then executed like a criminal. It also seems like absolute foolish nonsense uh, to the person who's steeped in worldly wisdom. And so, yes, the message of the cross causes a storm. You know, earlier we had said that storms often turns things upside down. But the storm that is caused by Christ's crucifixion does just the opposite. It turns things right side up. And here's why. You see, every human heart and soul longs for ultimate meaning. And secondly, every human heart and soul senses that something is not right within. Something's wrong on the inside. You may be familiar with the name Blaise Pascal. Pascal was a 17th century uh, philosopher, mathematician, scientist, physicist, inventor, and theologian. Incredibly brilliant. And he had something extremely profound to say about the human soul. This is what he said. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. You know, the big idea or the big takeaway for this sermon today is that only the message of Christ crucified satisfies that universal human longing for ultimate meaning and inner peace. Here's the harsh reality. We're all sinners. We all break God's commands. But an even deeper problem than that is the root issue, and that is a corrupted, sinful, rebellious human nature that leads to sinful behavior. And all of our sinfulness leaves us upside down, separated from our Creator, and frankly, feeling quite empty on the inside, that vacuum in the heart of which Pascal referenced. The good news, however, friends, is that Christ's death is for you. Jesus came into this world to fill that hole in your soul. He came to turn you right side up again. And by his death, you are indeed made right in God's eyes. And he simply says, believe it. Friends, in this sermon series, The Storm Before the Calm, we are reminded that the storm of Lent will give way to Easter's calming message of resurrection, of new hope, new life, of life eternal in heaven, to be sure. But don't miss this key point from this sermon today. And that is that the message of the cross and the empty tomb also bring us that joy-filled realization that this life can have real meaning and purpose. That right here, right now, we can live the 
right-side-up life. You know, friends, we live at a time of great confusion regarding worldview. And that leaves a lot of people with upside-down kind of thinking. But as people of the cross, we have a message that can set people right-side-up and right with God. It's the message of Christ crucified. Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Jesus alone can right-side up people. This Lenten season, I encourage you to embrace the message of Christ crucified, first and foremost for yourself, and then be willing to share that message with someone else. Friends, I want to close with this question today. Whom do you know that is feeling upside down in life? How about inviting them to experience the message of Christ crucified? Invite them into the storm with you so that they might then experience the calming of real, genuine, lasting peace through Jesus. Amen.